0: Welcome to National Parks Traveler, where we explore the national parks and the issues that involve them.
1: It's been quite a year in the national park system when the subject turns to unexpected bills. There was the historic flooding that hit Yellowstone National Park in June, monsoonal flooding that struck Death Valley National Park and Mojave National Preserve uh, later this summer, and even flooding at Vicksburg National Military Park that caused significant damage. This is Kurt Repinchak, your host at the National Parks Traveler. It's well known that the National Park Service doesn't have the financial resources and staffing that it needs on a daily basis to keep the National Park System not just running, but well maintained. As a result, we shouldn't be too surprised when natural disasters, such as flooding, wildfires, and even drought strike and generate repair bills in the hundreds of millions of dollars. Dollars that the National Park Service just doesn't have sitting in a bank account ready to pay for repairs. Today, we're going to explore the unexpected costs that have descended on the National Park Service and how to pay for them with John Garter, the National Parks and Conservation Association's Senior Director for Budget and Appropriations. We'll be back in a minute with John.
0: Whether it be strategy, business planning, change management, board development, executive search, or diversity planning, Potrero Group is here to help. They mix a depth of experience in the parks and land space with a breadth of best practices from other industries. For more information, or to schedule a preliminary conversation, go to potrerogroup.com. Washington State is graced with three spectacular national parks, each different and special in their own unique ways. As the official nonprofit partner and the only philanthropic organization dedicated exclusively to supporting these parks through charitable contributions, Washington's National Park Fund has a mission to raise private support to deepen everyone's love for, understanding of, and experiences in Mount Rainier, North Cascades, and Olympic National Parks. Share your passion for these parks at WNPF.org. The Yosemite Conservancy helps visitors connect with Yosemite through adventures, volunteering, and the arts. It's the only nonprofit dedicated to supporting Yosemite National Park and funds grants to improve trails, restore habitat, protect wildlife, and inspire the next generation of nature lovers. Learn more at yosemite.org.
1: Welcome back to The Traveler, John, and uh, you're a special guest because this is episode 200.
2: Wow. Well, thanks so much. It's an, it's an honor to be on, then.
1: Well, it's, it's great to have you here anytime, whether it's 200 or 15. Um, as you well know, a, a three-hour rainstorm back in August dumped nearly one and a half inches of rain on Death Valley National Park, causing widespread flooding that tore up roads, blew out water systems, and shut down the park. It was classified as a once-in-a-thousand-year event, and, of course, there was the Yellowstone National Park flooding in June that basically tore up the roads leading into the northern half of the park through uh, Gardner as well as um, coming, coming east from um, Cook City, and, you know, those things are, are no small matters. I mean, we're talking hundreds of millions of dollars. Where's the money coming from? Is, is Congress paying attention?
2: Yeah, uh, as for that question, Kurt, it, it has been a devastating year, and really a devastating few years for national parks in terms of natural disasters, um, and particularly costly ones. This the, the level of damage that we're seeing uh, totaled among these various parks may be the most ever that's been needed, certainly in in recent history for the National Park Service. But Yellowstone, thankfully, they've had some temporary funds that they're working with. Uh, It's called the Emergency Relief for Federally Owned Roads, or ERFO, and that's been allowing them to do actually some really impressive work, getting some temporary road work done just to at least allow for access for park employees, for service vehicles, and now just in time for the winter to get um, visitors through there, but that is um, certainly a temporary fix and they are going to need to do an entire rebuild there certainly for the road that goes from mammoth to the town of gardner which really got clobbered i was there this summer and um, the economic impact of the flooding and that entrance being entirely closed was was just huge for businesses there as, as it was for cook city so they currently don't have any reliable funding source they're going to need for that work, uh, which is why we're looking to Congress, and that
1: goes for Death Valley as well. Um, okay, hold on, hold on a second, John. Um, you said Urfo came through with um, quite a bit of money to help put in temporary roads, so to speak, and of course they, uh, the park, turned the the old stagecoach road that went from Gardner down to Mammoth Hot Springs into uh, a usable road for for public traffic have those bills been covered
2: my understanding is that those irfo funds did did provide for the uh construction or the the improvements to the old gardner road but again that that is just uh you know designed to last maybe less than a decade and and a much larger long-term success, much more expensive is going to have to be done
1: yeah sure no i understand that they've got a you know, basically come up with a new footprint for where they're going to put that road because the superintendent, Camp Sholly, you know, says it just doesn't make sense to put it back along the the river there with the river below and the, the cliffs above that um, have shown a propensity for um, slipping and sliding. And um, we don't know what type of dollar figure that's going to be, um, more than you and I can afford for sure. but But that's That's outside of what I wanted to talk to you about today. You know, today, the disaster funding and, you know, Congress is coming up to the end of its session. And I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, that it'd be nice if the Park Service got some emergency funding to to address some of these issues that climate change is handing out to the parks, right?
2: Yeah, I I would say uh, say that um, to say it would be nice is an understatement. It would be devastating to the Park Service if they did not get this emergency relief. Um, the the good news is that over the last, well, at least decades and, and more since I've been doing this, the the Park Service has gotten those needed emergency funds from Congress, though at times, um, as was the case with Hurricane Sandy, it, it has been a bit of a struggle. We needed an amendment for that bill that provided funding for parks and refuges, um, but they have provided some relief on occasion the most recently was at the end of uh, fy21 congress provided 240 million to um the the last numbers that we saw publicly printed for this series of disasters was 1.3 billion i believe or somewhere in the range of of 1.5 billion um to put that in context you know the the annual operating budget for the park service is about three billion dollars these days and so um or their their total budget is about 3.2 billion so we're we're talking about uh, as much as a a third of the park service's annual budget there's no way that they could absorb that so it, it is incumbent on congress to recognize as they look to disaster relief funds that um the park service needs to be in the mix because the alternative is Pretty unimaginable. Um, there, there is a very modest annual fund that the Park Service has to deal with with unforeseen emergencies, but but they're going to be more smaller storms and the kinds of things that they can absorb with this roughly you know several million dollar fund. Actually, Death Valley you mentioned it, it is a great example of what they have to do when they don't get emergency funds. So they had some really bad flooding there in 2015 of course course, extensive damage to scotty's castle the traveler reported on that still isn't open right and they have made some uh design improvements to ideally allow for any flash flooding to go you know underneath and through there this most recent flood did not go through that area of the park and it was so huge it's it's really unknown if the new design would have taken care of that but they have been essentially robbing from Peter to pay Paul to pay for all those various repairs. And um, they are, uh, to my understanding, they've been looking at over a dozen different funding sources, you know, from taking balances they haven't used for line item construction and other projects that they plan to get done to deal with deferred maintenance, Um, just really tapping all their fee dollars that they can. And so what this means is that their restrooms, for example, are, are in rough shape you know their campgrounds are tattered to say the least There are visitors complaining all the time about the condition of of those facilities and so that's the kind of thing they have to do and so the deferred maintenance backlog just grows worse and you know again we're talking as much as a billion dollars alone perhaps for um the yellowstone roads and you can't just you know borrow from other accounts to pay for that amount of funding
1: Right, right. Now, um, I I think you mentioned uh, unexpected expenses of a a billion or a billion five this year alone, 2022.
2: That's right. The the Senate proposed, I believe it was 1.3 billion for Yellowstone and then another 400 million or so for um, the road at Denali, for drought at Lake Mead and um Glen Canyon and there may have been some other parks in the mix but now since that bill which was late July or early August we've seen the flooding that we just talked about at Death Valley and other uh parks in the California desert and then we've seen some uh, damage as well to parks in the southeast from hurricanes and there are other needs that um, are ongoing from parks that um, experienced disasters in recent years but still need extensive amounts of funding. Um, Vicksburg would be one example where they are really just concluding the first phase in what is a huge ongoing project and is really a heartbreaking story in terms of our cultural resources and the history that that park protects.
1: Yeah, yeah, we'll get into that in a minute. We're talking today with John Garter, the Senior Director for Budget and Appropriations at the National Parks and Conservation Association. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back.
0: Listener and reader support make National Parks Traveler possible every day of the year. If you enjoy the Traveler's content, please consider a donation via nationalparkstraveler.org. Full of stunning photography and thought-provoking reads, Smokey's Life is a biannual magazine produced by Great Smoky Mountains Association. Members receive it free of charge each spring and fall, and it is available for purchase in retail stores throughout Great Smoky Mountains National Park and online at smokiesinformation.org. An attitude of gratitude can improve the way you manage your money. Enroll in Credit Score for free with Interior Federal Credit Union's Digital Banking, and get started. Staying on top of your credit has never been easier. Join today to experience the benefits for yourself. Membership is required. Interior Federal Credit Union, federally insured by NCUA. Acadia National Park is one of the 10 most popular national parks in the United States. It's also one of the smallest and most vulnerable. That's why Friends of Acadia exists. Friends of Acadia is an independent organization of passionate people inspiring those who love this magnificent park to make a real and lasting difference for Acadia. You can make a difference at friendsofacadia.org.
1: So, John, I I just want to clarify something in my head. you said in this uh, emergency appropriations bill, I believe, for the, for, that's in Congress now that they're being asked to support, it contains a, roughly a billion dollars for Yellowstone's roads. Is that getting ahead of the, you know, the, the cart above the, in front of the horse? Because do we have a price tag for what that road work's going to repair? Why would, why would the Park Service be seeking a billion dollars now before they've done the, the studies and uh, gone through NEPA and know exactly where they're going to put the road and what is going to cost?
2: Right. So first off, there are a number of different designs that they're looking at, and I think they have their, their preferred plan, but of course it's got to go through the NEPA process. So I think the estimates will vary and they do change due to a number of factors. And that is really up to the judgment of the superintendent and the comptroller and conversations that they have with the appropriators. And um, I think, do not consider myself important enough to get uh, all the latest updates from the folks who are making those decisions. I do know that the amounts are in the hundreds of millions. They may be subject to change, but even their cheapest alternative is going to be in the many hundreds of
1: millions, of approaching a billion dollars. Yeah, yeah, no, and it's going to it's going to take a a while. I think I've seen you know at, at least five years to to get a, a new road down through there. Death Valley. Um, you know, you mentioned the the flooding from October 15, and and um, Scotty's Castle still is not open, and you've got various costs there. You've got the the initial disaster response costs, and then with Scotty's Castle, you know, they wanted to build it back, but they didn't want to build it back to the same state it was in before the flooding arise. They want to build it better to to hopefully withstand similar flood events, and of course, you got to go through all the historic preservation rules and regulations as to what can be done, and so that keeps adding to the costs, and um, I guess that's one reason why here we are um, seven years down the road from that flooding and Scotty's Castle is still not open. What about the flooding that hit Death Valley this this summer? I know it it tore up a lot of roads um, again and uh, left a lot of debris and rubble across roads. Was that a a big uh, dollar amount disaster?
2: It was huge uh, in the many hundreds of millions. And again, those are numbers that, that we don't have access to, but uh, in the many hundreds of millions is a safe thing. At uh, Death Valley. Alone. Yes, absolutely. They, their roads were completely devastated. And that's that's expensive work to do. They also lost a campground, which, you know, it, it speaks to just how many facilities there are that that, you know the public may not even be aware of and then the damage was so bad even just to get the park service out to assess the damage takes a long time and so uh i think that the 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 campground was was something that they um found out about later but then you mentioned cultural resources you know this is among the Park Service's funding woes is that they are significantly short staffed for cultural resources staff. And part of that is climate for both cultural and natural resources, insufficient capacity to do inventorying and monitoring to find out what the resources are, to find out where they can adapt management accordingly. And the California desert would be one example where there are many many archaeological sites that are just not documented for lack of staff capacity and they are subject to the risk of flash flooding and I I would say the odds that um, there are undocumented cultural sites that were lost archaeological sites that were lost in that flooding the odds are very high which speaks to the need not only to build back but as you said to build uh, resources back with greater resilience and also to provide that ongoing operational money to do the inventorying that's needed to see uh, where there are cultural and natural resources that are at greatest risk of natural disasters and, and climate change more broadly.
1: Yeah. yeah, And then, you know, you, you move not too far away to, um, I think it's west of Death Valley, Mojave National Preserve. I mean, they really were hit hard this summer, a couple different times as Death Valley was. That's right. Yeah,
2: there were multiple parks in the California desert that uh, got hit hard, and we hope that Congress will be looking at all of them and coming up with a total that will cover all these disasters because, as I noted, you know, without that funding, even for smaller projects than we've been talking about, they have to take from unobligated balances and other balances that are intended to pay for deferred maintenance. Um, The traveler has covered very well the, you know, now $22 billion deferred maintenance backlog. Of course, a huge success was the Great American Outdoors Act, but that is, you know, covering only up to $6.65 billion of that backlog. We are seeing a lot of successes from that bill, but um, it is, you know, not going to pay all the bills. And, you know, if Congress fails to pay for even these smaller disasters that are in the Single digits or tens of millions—they—they they all do add up, and and they'll just lead to the backlog growing even more.
1: Yeah. Now you had mentioned Vicksburg. Um, what what exactly happened there? I know there was some flooding, and I believe it went through the national cemetery there. What what type of damage did the park sustain?
2: Yeah, it, it it was devastating, and for those who visited, from our staff to uh, members of the public to members of Congress and park personnel, they have been really moved by seeing. What the damage there was and the impacts to to our history so um unfortunately the cemetery that you mentioned you know historically very significant it contains the the largest collection of civil war graves uh, including u.s colored troops the the, uh, precursors to or the predecessors to the buffalo soldiers that were so important to protecting our uh, what are now our national parks back at the turn of the 19th to 20th century so you know a place of significant history the soils there and the the hillside is such that it is subject to the potential for landslides and that's what happened a couple of years ago with some uh flooding that happened and it just washed away that hillside and and destroyed a number of roads and paths there and unearthed a number of those soldiers and so what the Park Service has been doing is working with some funds number of funding sources, but um, some disaster relief funds. I mentioned that they were able to get from the last disaster relief funding Congress provided at the end of, I believe, FY 21. They've been working with that to do extensive archaeological studies, uh, as well as geologic and hydrologic studies to identify what they can do to um, rebuild because to just repair things back to the w- way they were just wouldn't make any sense at all. And so they are, from my understanding, uh, concluding that portion. And now they would really benefit from some additional funding from Congress to do the next couple phases, which is then to identify what their options are, uh, to do things in a way that do make sense and protect those resources, and then to actually engage in the work. So this is this is a multi-year project, as
1: you mentioned, is going to be the case at Yellowstone. Now, we've we've been talking about a handful of parks that uh, suffered water damage from flooding and. Flash flooding. and then you flip the coin over, and there's a, a couple of park units that have suffered from a lack of water. And I'm talking about uh, Glen Canyon National Recreation Area with Lake Powell and uh, Lake Mead National Recreation Area with Lake Mead. And you know the the drought that's the Southwest has been locked in for you know more than two decades now has really reduced flows from the Colorado River. And we've seen um, pretty severe impacts on those two units of the park system in terms of, you know their their boat launches are out of water, and so they have to keep extending their boat launches. A- any idea what we're talking about there, dollar wise, and
2: the amount that the Senate proposed in its bill uh, in late July or early August was, I believe, somewhere in the neighborhood of two hundred million. Those costs could be more now. Again, there are procurement costs, labor costs, and changes in what their adjustments and what their plans are. So. I don't know if that figure will represent what's needed. But again, this is the kind of project that's in the hundreds of millions of dollars. And unlike those disasters we've been talking about, we also see these long-term disasters that are very costly. Another example would be with permafrost melt at Denali and the impacts to the road there. And it's not just the recreational infrastructure that's being impacted at those reservoirs. Uh, there's been there's been a a fair amount of media attention to the things that are being unearthed right and so we um there are things that are very interesting to the public like bodies um but there are a lot of other um historic resources and there's a lot of junk as well and so that's going to cost some uh a fair amount of money as well to uh identify how they are going to take some of those things out and if there are things that will are in need of protection what they're going to do to protect uh, those resources and so uh, funding is needed for that as well and I think it also creates some additional management challenges for the superintendents where those parks increasingly are not just about uh, you know chiefly providing for recreation and they always have had a conservation mandate but it creates more pressure on that conservation mandate and um, a greater need to really broaden their focus, and that that takes resources as well. And then, of course, there are impacts to the Grand Canyon downstream. Those downstream flows are, are being affected. The water temperatures are being affected, and a big concern now are a uh, number of imperiled fish species, the humpback chub among them. When you have the threat of bass and other uh, species that would compete to them that would really threaten the um, that that ecosystem and could could change it forever.
1: Yeah, the economic um, impacts to these the the communities that uh, rely on these parks for the bulk of their income. Um, at at uh, Lake Powell, I know the the problem with the boat launches has really impacted um, businesses that rent houseboats because they can't put them in the water, or in some cases, they can't take them out of the water. Um, at uh, Grand Canyon National Park, there's concerns about how the lower flows and the lack of flash flooding from monsoons are altering the river corridor and how that could affect um, river runners um, in terms of the size of their boats. And they might have to go with smaller boats and so smaller guests on those boats. And so you've got all these, these economic impacts. But I'm wondering, you know, when we're talking about Lake Mead and, and um, Lake Powell, and you mentioned uh, hundreds of millions of dollars are being sought, is it just to extend boat ramps? I mean, um, what, what type of long-term solution is that?
2: They need to extend boat ramps. They are going to, uh, I believe, be closing some and uh, consolidating some of the uh, visitor use. And then again, uh, addressing those cultural and natural resource needs.
1: We're talking today with John Garter, the Senior Director for Budget and Appropriations at the National Parks Conservation Association, about disasters across the national park system and how they are impacting the bottom line of the National Park Service's budget. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back.
0: The Grand Teton National Park Foundation is a private, nonprofit organization that supports projects that protect and enhance Grand Teton National Parks' cultural, historic, and natural resources. By funding initiatives that go beyond what the National Park Service could accomplish on its own, Foundation donors improve the visitor experience and provide benefits to the National Park System for decades to come. You can see their successes at gtnpf.org. The Blue Ridge Parkway Foundation is the primary nonprofit fundraising partner for the Blue Ridge Parkway. It is made up of people who have a deep love for this majestic road and want to ensure that its natural beauty and the experiences it offers endure for generations to come. Show your appreciation at brpfoundation.org. The Everglades Foundation, the only organization whose sole mission is to restore and protect America's Everglades. Learn more at evergladesfoundation.org. Okay, we're back with John. John, you know, we've
1: been talking about flooding in um, Yellowstone and Death Valley and Mojave National Preserve, Vicksburg, um, lack of water in in some units of the national park system. And, you know, you go north to Alaska and Denali National Park has really been impacted by climate change because the permafrost is melting and that's messing up the park road.
2: That's right. Yeah, that's been a significant challenge uh, that... The park service has been dealing with now for over a couple of years the permafrost melt has been causing this one hillside to uh, slide at um, higher and higher rates to the point where they had to close the road because it became unsafe right at, at its midpoint if you've been to denali you know that it is the only road in and out of the park and that means that the latter half of the park is inaccessible to visitors by road including the Allison Visitor Center which is a really cool place with some great views of the peak when you can when you can see Denali on the days you can so um that is a huge concern for visitation and for the uh economics of, of surrounding communities that do you know like those around Yellowstone like those around the places we're talking about that do depend on having uh, visitor access and so the Park Service has been looking at various designs my understanding is that now they're putting out the RFPs and have settled on a design or at least are, are getting close to essentially um, on the two areas where there's dependable bedrock uh, on either side of that rock slide they were of that permafrost melt. They uh, will put some footings in there and then essentially construct what you could think of as a bridge that would go over that whole area. I believe it's a 400 foot long bridge. Yeah, I think that's right. So that's a huge project. And without emergency relief funding from Congress, again, it's a robbing Peter to pay Paul. And those are amounts that would mean having other transportation projects not get done. And there are a lot of significant transportation needs around the country that um, are getting funded by the Outdoors Act, are getting funded by uh, transportation funding, most recently through the, the infrastructure bill. But the needs are much greater than those bills can provide. So it just means getting less work done.
1: Now, I'm I'm really curious. I mean, this seems to come up year after year after year. It's December 11th. I believe Congress hopes to go home on the 14th. Is that right? 14th or 15th?
2: Well, I don't expect Congress is going to be able to leave at the end of this week. Uh, they will bring things closer to Christmas, undoubtedly, as they always do. But they do have to figure out how they are going to fund the federal government by the end of this week on the 16th. The current stopgap funding measure, the continuing resolution runs out, and they have been not coming to the agreement they need to in order to get an omnibus appropriations bill passed that is needed to fund the Park Service and every other federal agency that you can think of.
1: Yeah. Are there any um, specific politicians who are, are carrying this legislation for the Park Service to get that funding through?
2: Well, for the Park Service, there are a number of champions. um, Certainly, you know, critical to to getting this bill uh, moving uh, and to funding parks specifically would be, for example, Senator Merkley of Oregon, the chairman of the Interior and Environment Appropriations Subcommittee. Uh, His bill provides significant funding increases to operate national parks. It was his bill that uh sought disaster relief funding for the park service of over a billion dollars um i know from my Hill conversations that he's very supportive of funding for the park service but some decisions are out of uh his hands in a way another um supporter of parks would be the full committee chairman senator leahy who's retiring and then the ranking member senator shelby uh who is also retiring, they are two of the principals. They're the chief principals who are going to have to get this deal done. And they are friends, but unfortunately, there's significant disagreement over the top line funding numbers and how they are going to provide for defense versus non-defense. And then that money trickles down to the committees and they need time to write those bills once the uh the funding is provided you know there are other folks in the mix who are important to those de- decisions uh senator schumer of course is in the mix on making those decisions i know that he is a big supporter of national parks and understands the importance of their funding and was very supportive uh, in terms of natural disasters for example of getting relief from hurricane sandy and the damage that was done to parks and other folks, of course, in in Republican leadership and chairs and ranking members, uh, ranking members of the subcommittees. So what's really needed right now is to to come to agreement on the larger defense and non-defense numbers, and they just have got to figure this out.
1: Now, John, in the past, we've seen um, opposition to these sorts of disaster bills for the the National Park Service. I mean, certainly back in Hurricane Sandy, um, there was a lot of opposition. I can't remember exactly who it was, but in the past, I believe Senators Ted Cruz, Rand Paul, and I think Mike Lee have voiced opposition to such spending. Um, any feel if there's gonna be opposition to these things moving through, or is it just uh, the slow morass of government that is delaying them?
2: There's gonna be downward pressure on a lot of non-defense spending there already is um disasters traditionally are an area where there is bipartisan support however you mentioned that with hurricane sandy there there was downward pressure it caused a lot of consternation in congress and for our national parks we relied on a republican former republican congressman uh, from new jersey rodney frelinghuysen to uh provide an amendment that uh that provided those funds for parks and refuges there is a lot of disagreement about Ukraine funding there has been disagreement on COVID funding I have not seen any indication that there is massive disagreement on disaster relief funding for FEMA or for any of these other needs like National Parks we'll see what happens as the process moves forward, but I'm hopeful that because it's disaster relief, if there are any voices out there who are arguing that it's not needed, they will be significantly drowned out on a bipartisan basis by those that recognize that communities
1: and public lands need this funding to move forward. So fingers crossed the funding will go forward. Um, The parks will be able to address these disaster impacts But looking down the road, I mean, climate change is here. A lot of these storms, while people may not say they were driven specifically by climate change, are examples of what the changing climate can do to our public lands. Is this going to put more pressure to see Congress better fund the Park Service going forward? I mean, we've always talked about, you know, there's not enough money to to um, deal with the maintenance backlog. There's not enough money to hire enough staff, whether it's cultural resources staff or interpretive staff or historians. Is this gonna put pressure to not only address those needs, but as they like to say, build back better, to borrow a phrase. I mean, we have to look at how climate change could impact these places, and that's what they're doing at Yellowstone with you know trying to come up with a new footprint for that road from Gardner down to, to Mammoth Hot Springs. That's gotta be a costly endeavor for that park alone. And so you look at the entire national park system, you've got sea level rise, You know what's happening at Cape Hatter's National Seashore with houses falling into the Atlantic Ocean. Everglades is gonna face problems. I mean, you could just go around the country and point out problems. This is gonna put more pressure on Congress to better fund the park service, not just for the existing needs, but to build more climate resistant infrastructure.
2: Yeah, that is an excellent and very relevant question, Kurt, and the answer is a bit complex that involves looking at really the suite of funding sources for the Park Service. If we look at their annual appropriated budget, this should send a message to Congress that um, they need to provide more for annual operations and for line item construction and uh, other deferred maintenance funding sources. They need those funds for, as I mentioned, the inventorying and monitoring and that climate work to just get baseline condition assessments, have a good understanding of what the threats are to infrastructure as well as resources, and then come up with appropriate plans to, as you say, build back better or just uh, adjust to a changing climate and plan for the future. That all takes resources that traditionally come from appropriations. The Great American Outdoors Act, as I noted, should be extended. The Legacy Restoration Fund has, I believe, two more years under the bill, under the law, and getting that law extended as, uh, for example, Senator King from Maine, a champion of that bill, has argued would be very appropriate and I think is needed in the next Congress, and that's something NPCA and our I expect our partners will be arguing for Uh, so that as they engage in infrastructure repairs from the great american outdoors act and appropriated funding they are looking more at what are ways to build back in a way that is more resilient to withstand the costs and the impacts of future disasters that means more planning it means more materials costs and as you know the costs of construction have significantly increased so that so that 6.65 billion they got is not going as far as they had hoped when they uh, passed that bill right procurement costs contracting costs so uh to build back more resiliently unfortunately does cost more and so um there's you know that that should put more pressure as well uh, it also sends a message about the importance of bills like the bipartisan infrastructure law and the inflation reduction act, which unfortunately wasn't bipartisan, for addressing infrastructure and climate change needs. Um, there are funds for some of this climate work, a little bit of what I've talked about in that inflation reduction act, but not remotely the level of funding that is needed to do some of the the things I've mentioned, and certainly not to do that sort of pre-disaster planning is one way you could put it, looking at an ecosystem scale, looking at how future trends could threaten these areas. And what Congress in the long term really needs to be thinking about is if they really need to do something like provide a whole additional Budgetary area of funding, like we have defense, we have non defense, something to really plan for this kind of thing in advance, which prevents future costs and future impacts to people and to lives and to businesses and families and our parks and public lands and a lot of other things when you have to do responsive work. So to plan ahead is needed. And that's a place where Congress needs to go. And I think. These disasters should help send that message.
1: You know, John, there are there are so many different areas we could go into. We could do a two-hour show easily, and maybe that's what we need to do um, in the weeks ahead and do a roundtable discussion. But you know, one thing that just came up recently that that shows how struggling the Park Service is with funding, and it has nothing to do with disasters. At Mount Rainier National Park—they've decided that they're not going to keep the road to Paradise open during the week because they just don't have the staff to, you know, provide the law enforcement, to provide the interpretive rangers, to provide the snowplow drivers, uh, which is not the easiest job in the world when you're looking at Mount Rainier and those roads up there. And I I noticed um, the other day that on social media, the park put out a request, you know, we're looking for these types of personnel. And yet the the park service is kind of finding itself in a bind because, you know, you've got housing issues with the, um, the advent of, of Airbnb and VRBO. And it makes more, you can make more money renting your house out that way than renting it out to the park service. Um, you've got the simple fact that salaries are going up in the private sector, but not in the park service. And so park service employees are leaving to make more money elsewhere. I mean, there, there are just so many different issues tied to funding of the national park service that, um, it's going to be a real interesting uh, few years, and I, I wonder, um, you know, what Chuck Sam, the director of the Park Service, um, what he's telling Congress. Um, it's, it's going to be really interesting. The budget hearings coming up uh, early next year, especially with the change in uh, the control of the House of Representatives and the Republicans, and um, how willing are they going to be to to look at all these things? And you know, we're not talking a small increase; we're talking a large increase if you're trying to address the disasters and climate change resiliency and and uh, employee pay it's it's a it's a big problem on the horizon
2: that's right yeah that that story that you started with is is a really heartbreaking one and and i wish i wish it were you know uncommon but unfortunately it's not um what the park service is facing is a number of intersecting issues certainly the lack of of operating funds to um restore their staffing levels is a major one and I haven't talked to a single superintendent who doesn't have stories about, you know, you mentioned some of those positions, plow operators, law enforcement, but it's it's across the board, interpretation, uh, air quality specialists, you know, other resource specialists, uh, uh, interpretive staff, uh, volunteer coordinators, and the list goes on. But it intersects with the housing issue as well, and, the competitive job market right now. So the Park Service is increasingly having a hard time keeping up with the private sector, especially when staff, as you noted, are uh, unable to afford living around national parks. Um, And what's happening is the Park Service in many places has some limited capacity to house employees, but those higher level staff who bought homes in those areas back when they were more affordable as they retire the new staff coming in can't afford to buy that are replacing them they can't afford to buy those homes yeah and so it means that the park service has to figure out a way to provide more housing and that's difficult to do as you noted in surrounding communities and they have li- limited housing stock in the parks themselves there's an expression that you know park service staff get paid in sunsets I think that speaks very well to um the beauty of some of these places many of them and it also speaks to how dedicated those park personnel are because these folks they are dedicated to our parks and they want to work there and they want to serve visitors and protect those resources but you know you can't pay the mortgage on sunsets you can't pay the rent on sunsets and this is something Congress um, has shown more and more concern about. Um, There has been legislation that um, is moving forward, but it is not not a a panacea by any means. There's a modest Park Service account, I think around $3 million to deal with Park Service construction, uh, but it's not remotely what is needed. So there are a number of um, creative things that people are looking at, but ultimately getting some funds to deal with that problem and house those employees is needed.
1: Well, John, it's been a very illuminating and concerning discussion. Um, I appreciate your time today. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what Congress does um, later this week with the continuing resolution and and by the end of the year and see if they can come up with something to uh, build on going forward.
2: Well, fingers crossed. And
1: thanks so much for having me on, Kurt. That's our show for this week. We hope you enjoyed it. Next week, Lynn Riddick sits down with Andrew Revkin, noted journalist, author, and educator, who has been reporting on climate change for the better part of 35 years. Naturally, he has some thoughts about our national parks and the landscapes we are enjoying at this particular moment in time. For The Traveler, this is Kurt Repinchek. See you in the parks.
0: visit us at nationalparkstraveler.org.